0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK By joining our Patreon from just one pound. And by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Living History UK podcast. Today, we are talking about the bane of a soldier's life. That is, of course, Blanco. Now, we're going to talk about how Blanco was invented, why, why it was used and we'll talk about how it influences us in the hobby. Believe it or not, it has a massive influence, believe it or not. So to join me in this episode is somebody who knows all things random and sometimes unnecessary things, is Dom Blythe. How are you, Dom? I'm very good, Peter. Thank you very much for having me along on this marvellous
1: adventure we're about to uh, imbibe in.
2: (laughs) Oh, dear. You never cease to amaze me with your vocabulary, Dom. You really don't. So, Blanco, what does Blanco mean to you, Dom? Well, it is a means of not
1: only changing the colour of the pre-shrunken cotton that is webbing. It is a means of waterproofing it of protecting it, and also to an extent
2: cleaning it as well. So that's what Blanco means to me, Peter, yourself? Yeah, pretty much along the same lines as you, mate. It was, uh, yeah, it's exactly what it was designed to do. But how far back does it go? So we know Blanco doesn't become Blanco as we know it into the late Victorian period. If we go back to the 1700s, sort of like the mid-1700s, when the British Army starts using white white leather for their web equipment, essentially, uh, or the leather work, as it was known as. Obviously, white attracts dirt and grime, and you can't keep white looking nice for long. So they used something called pipe clay, and it's exactly what it says on the tin. It is the clay that was used to make clay pipes. So it was ground down into a very fine powder, mixed with water, and they'd rub it over their leather equipment to bring up that nice white colour. If we move forward to eighteen eighty. The, there's a company who specialized in polishing products for cutlery and things like that called Joseph Pickering and Sons. Now one of the sons, he was actually a, a volunteer uh, which would become in late many later years the territorial army and when they were he obviously he had to whiten his belts and he thought, you know what there's probably a better way of doing this, and I think we've got the kit to do it. So he went away and he actually formed what we know today as Blanco. So they got this compound, made it into a block, almost like a hockey puck, a uh, mix of water, and applied it to the leather equipment. And it worked just as well as pipe clay, uh, a lot cleaner and a lot better. And so his um, volunteer regiment bought uh, commissioned a, um, a job lot. And then word got around to how good these belts were using this new product that um, they'd produced. It then became universal in the army. So as of the sort of 1880s, uh, Blanco was invented and became a bane of a soldier's life ever since. Yes, and then, uh, of course, later on, of
1: uh, when, when web equipment would then start coming in, you then have uh, dedicated what was known as webbing cleaner. And so this then starts picking up Towards the the back end of the Victorian period, um, when when the army starts introducing um, articles of webbing, uh, starting on the Boer War, and of course this becomes much more prevalent in 1908 with the introduction of the 1908 pattern webbing equipment. And you and you can and you can see that it is certainly died that died down. You see definitely see in photographs that you have this there's sort of this preconception a bit in the hobby, which we may go back to a bit later of of that the concept of blanco wasn't really used until world war 2 and that's cobblers because you can see photographs of new volunteers during the great war you have the photographs taken in brand new 08 webbing and you can see that it's unblancoed because it's shining it is red- ridiculously white this this stuff brand new unblankered webbing shines it's ridiculous and then but with the most of the photographs that you have available to us, obviously the colors that are seen are much more dulled down in tone and in some cases similar in color in your in shade of gray i should say to the uh the service dress the men are wearing. Unfortunately, examples of uh, original examples of of this webbing are, are sort of lost to time. But, but there there were some versions where, as the hockey puck uh, from catalogs is what we can see, so uh, what we can sort of find now. As what Pete said earlier, there's the, there's the hockey puck style, and there was also um, what we would now refer to as liquid blanco, like uh, becoming a bottle. And again, from
2: various different manufacturers of, of the sort. Yes, you do, and but then it also um, opens that can of worms of what Blanco was actually used during the First World War, because it's, uh, it's unfortunately, <laughs> <Yeah>. because <laughs> us as uh, living historians or indeed reenactors, the as much as this stuff was used on a day-to-day basis. There's not a great deal of information about it. There's a little bit, you know, you get dribs and drabs that come through from the First World War. Um, it's a little bit more giving of information during the second world war, but still just that little bit better than the first. So it's it's one of those. It's like, well, what did they what were they doing? Um cause there's two there's two colours that we do know of, isn't there, Dom? So you got uh, was it number sixty-three, which is almost what would when you come to the second world war period, be almost like a kg3 colour um but a lot darker and there was another one which was a like a khaki colour what can you remember that what that one is Dom? i can i can't remember the na- uh, the
1: number of it off my head but it's sort of a um it's not as it's not as much of a green hue as as kg3 but it's much is much more of a brown hue because you, you do see as as i mentioned earlier in fo- in when you see it in photographs is it's it's the same sort of hue of grey as the service dress.
2: Yeah, that's it. And they're the two that everyone's arguing about. And like you said earlier, Dom, as well, where you got the argument of, did they actually blanco their kit during the First World War? Well, like it's already been mentioned, yes. Yeah, they did. If you're seeing photographs and you got your eye in on photographs, at the end of the day, this stuff is like a chalk-based compound. So it does wear out over time. So if you're not applying it, it, it it will work its way out of the canvas equipment. So that so, so if you're someone on the Western Front, yeah, of course you're going to see very fade very faded webbing out on the Western Front, you know. And um, but it's one of those it's one of those, isn't it? Dom? It's one of those discussions that could last for ages with people just chatting and chatting and chatting and chatting. But there's no real hard evidence, you know. You've got people saying it, it's it's a pea green. You know, they are pea green during the first world war, they're like the whippy color. And but it's like, well, no, because that those items from 08 webbing were all blancoed after the first world war because exactly. the new blanco come in
1: exactly
2: re in it. And those, you know, obviously survived. And because it's got 1915 in the ammo pouch or whatever, they go, oh, well, this is definitely the first world war color, it's this pea green color. They no, because that's the Blanco they were using in the interwar period. Exactly. Um, I mean, there's also, in the, in the Imperial War Museum, there
1: is, well, there was last time I visited, a set of, of service dress hanging up, and over the top of the service dress, you've got the 08 webbing. And the 08 webbing is definitely in the 1930s, early Second World War, pea green. And as you say, Pete, the Webbing was still being issued into the early periods of the second world war, so of course it's it's going to be blanketed in the new stuff yes and i, I wholeheartedly agree it's it may be stamped nineteen o eight because it was manufactured in nineteen o eight
2: yeah, I think the only way you could prove that point is if you have um an article an article of webbing doesn't matter what it is, it could be anything as long as it's webbing um But, that, you know, it belonged to great-uncle Bulgaria. and uh, But he brought that home with him from the war in 1919. He brought that home with him, and that stayed in a box for the next 100 years, and you get it out of that box, and you go, well, this was the colour he brought back. Or a time machine. (laughs) Yeah, or a time machine. (laughs) Um, You know, that's the only way. And, you know, that's, that's the thing. You know, the webbing is constantly being recirculated as well. That's the other thing. You know, it's not a case of you use it, hand it in, it gets thrown away. If it's still usable, it's being recirculated. So that goes back to when, as we said earlier, it's getting re into the new colours. So unless you have an, art, an article of webbing that is from the First World War that never got recirculated at all, that stayed with that person and it's never been touched, then you've got a better idea of what that colour was, in my opinion, anyway. But until that time, and you've also got to be able to prove that point as well, Pete. You have indeed. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's like yeah, you pull it out of that box. You know that you know the World War One veterans are long since dead. So if you do find that article of weapon, you could know, you know unless you've got a medium or something. Um, you you're never you're we're never really gonna know one hundred percent exactly what they were using. But what I've found through the research. That I've done, and many others. I've gone to the sway of possibly early war, is the is that car, that khaki yellowy brown color, and then when the war starts, it's it goes to that number sixty three. As I said, is like a is more of a green color. Yeah, Pete, I I do agree. Um, I mean, even to be fair, with
1: some units. It's, it it does it does stay pretty much much of a muchness throughout the wall and again owing to the quality of the photographs it is sometimes just much of a muchness but ladies and gentlemen my intrepid audio explorers if you thought that this was a can of worms wait until what Peter's got next for us
2: <laughs> so next on the agenda of business <laughs> we then move through the interwar period where they are still using blanco but we come into the second world war where the bigger kind of worms opens up <laughs> but who like research where the people have done i think it has now been sort of narrowed down a lot a lot more in recent years into what was what was being used when because you got about three or four different types of blanco going on during the Second World War. Um, So start us off with the first (laughs) splanker for World War II, in 1939-40. Well, that
1: is, of course, KG-97, which is, of course, colloquially known as P. Green. And this starts being used by the British Army Sort of in the early to mid 1930s, exactly. I can't really tell you off the top of my head, and that is being used generally. So, if you're based in the UK or you're based in India, there's no, at this time there is no theatre specific sort of what colour your web equipment should be. And P this P green this 97 colour. Is that is that colour that, that's given. And this is what you see with the troops that are going over in 1939 during the phony war. And of course, this is used through Dunkirk into Dunkirk, Pete. Am I correct in, in saying that? Yep. So that was... Yeah,
2: you'll see it through the Dunkirk campaign.
1: And um, and so and this then re- this then lasts, of course, when, when Britain's rebuilding its army. And then
2: after that, um, what what
1: is it? One hundred and three that comes next after it movie? is
2: yeah. So yeah, so with ninety seven. So for those of you that are out there listening don't know what ninety seven looks like, um, it's almost like a fluorescent green. So the easiest way to explain it is um, imagine defrosted frozen peas. That kind of colour. That's the kind of colour you're looking at. So it's quite a a darkish but bright color green it's very out there to say it does stand out a bit but yeah but that's 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 number 97 and that's going to be used throughout the war as well so well that's the other thing as well with world war Two is although these other colors are coming in they're still being used side by side of other colors so if you want to like hone in on what color you are say say if you are a reenactor or living historian if you want to hone into what they're doing you have to try and Maybe try and find records, battalion records, or indeed if there's original articles or webbing from that regiment. Uh, but again, it's going back to that situation of it's getting reblanco. But as a rule, number ninety seven you're going to see for quite a long period of the war, and then we come into one hundred three, as Dom mentioned. So one hundred three is a very toned down version of ninety seven. It's almost what I'd call um, like a mint. Almost like a light mint green. Um, it's not so. It's not in your face. It's quite. It's a. It's a nice sort of whitish, creamy green color. Um, considerably
1: toned down.
2: Yeah, considerably <laughs> toned down. Um, and you're going to see that all the way um, through the rest of the war, um, even into the late forties. Um, so when we we're doing our research for the Ox and Bucks Living History Society, um, we managed to come across an order from the 1950s. Saying 53. That, yes, that's it, 1953, where it was stated that now there's lower stocks of number 97 and 103. KG3 can now be used. So that's showing how much of this stuff was made um, and how much of a stockpile of this stuff um, existed as well post-World War II. Uh, but anyway, I digress. And then we move into sort of 1943, 44. So, yeah, 43,
1: 44. The army is sort of rebuilding to retake Europe. And this is where we have KG3 somewhere along the line introduced. The army just wanted a much more subdued colour. To sort of start replacing this luminous green color blanco that was uh, that was dominating the the chests and backs of Tommies in in temperate climates. Of course, in more tropical theaters, it was just plain or sun-dyed webbing. But yeah, so KG three for those who don't know, it's uh, of a much more olive green hue, and you can generally tell this in photographs. Because if you look at a bloke who is wearing uh battle dress surge and he's wearing KG3 equipment, a uh, blanket equipment, it's gen, it, they look very similar in color. Whereas with the earlier sets of, um, the the earlier colours of Blanco, you can generally, it stands out a lot more as being a different colour, but you can see with KG3 that it is a, that is a very similar colour. And this is, and this can be told of, I know Pete's going to slightly rile up when I say that, photographs of the early RF Regiment, 1943. They were a very early, uh, and 1942, they were a very early user of KG3 Blanco, and again, this can be seen because the webbing that they are wearing is basically appears to be the same shade of hue, uh, shape, same hue of grey as the battle dress they're wearing. And KG3, as Pete said earlier is yeah, is being used up until the 1950s. And it's you do see um like 103 and what have you still being used later on into the war, especially like in airborne units and what have you. But KG3 is sort of the, the newfangled Blanco.
2: Yeah, I think going on that, well, you actually brought quite a good point, Dom, um, about the RAF using it. And I think that's also where this, Misconception comes in of the REF using REF blue blanco because there's all these people that do REF during the Second World War now they where they've got blue blanco or they've got blue dyed webbing, but we'll come on to dyed webbing in a minute. <laughs> but, you know, uh, there are, yeah, so if you're going around on the uh World War II circuit, um, for living history or reenactors, uh, they'll generally nine times out of ten they'll either have blue webbing on, which is post war, um. Or they'll be wearing um, obviously webbing, but with what they call RAF blanco, which is like a what well, a blue colour. And I think that's where this misconception comes in, where you're seeing the RAF, like especially people like the RAF Regiment, using KG3 because it's a dark colour. And I in a black and white photograph; it can look like that RAF blanco, which would come later.
1: It was ne- it was never used it, it, when you're in service dress. You a, ser- a service dress you wear the blue webbing and well of course early war this would be the blue the pre-dyed blue uh 25 pattern stuff uh, again, this is a really weird thing. You have uh, you have Air Ministry standing orders during wartime saying not to Blanco stuff. It, it's it, it's really weird, but we know that Blanco was used on RAF equipment during the war. It's very odd. So and then afterwards, so forty sort of forty two onwards, they start using thirty seven pattern. The well, 41, 42 onwards, they start using thirty seven pattern. So if you're in service dress, doing RAF stuff, you use blue web equipment. If you're doing the RAF regiment do not wear blue blank code webbing, anklets, or belts, or bayonet frogs, anything. It never happened. It was KG3. The only time that the RAF regiment wore uh, blue blank code web equipment when not in service dress. Was when they were in khaki drills, and that was in very, very specific occasions. Um, and there's photographic evidence of this, of the I think it was the the, re- the surrender of Singapore from the Japanese, where the, where the RAF Regiment wore blue belts and blue anklets, and you see. And sometimes in Italy, for walking out purposes, the RAF Regiment never wore blue blanco in battle dress. Absolute fallacy.
0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you. <laughs>
2: yeah, but also, this also then, um, the other thing with KG3 is another big one for those of us that do ARMY. Because uh, there's there this big misconception for many years of, right, from 1943 onwards, everyone is wearing KG3. Um, so any, anybody, everybody that's doing anything from 1943 onwards, everyone's wearing KG3 uh, because, as far as they're concerned, because it's called KG3, it came out in 1943. How they worked that one out, I don't know, but that's one of the um, theories that have come out. <laughs> so it's like you know. So like if you're going by that theory, when was number ninety seven? When when did number ninety seven come out? 1897, you know, <laughs> or or 103. Well, 103 ain't happened yet. Unless well, was 103 <laughs> A.D. or B.C. That's, or something. <laughs> that's what the Romans are using. Pete, come on, that's what. that's yeah, what the Romans are using. But. Um, but yeah, so the KG three is a very sticky subject. If you're, especially if you're doing living history, because um, that's when you got to go down that avenue to try and find out what the blokes were using, who um, who you're betraying, really. Uh, if you can find it, is it's very hard. Um, I believe it was a man called Alan Pryor. Um, he does a lot of work. He's uh, renowned on the circuit. Um he does a lot of work at the airborne assault museum, and they actually found a document from the first airborne division. because uh, again, airborne, so obviously airborne. because um, as far as everyone's concerned, all the airborne did was go to Normandy and Ryan Crossing, battle of the bulge, and that was it. <laughs> so um they were apparently
1: all... at Arnhem, though.
2: No, oh, sure. yeah, oh, obviously, Arnhem, yeah, Arnhem. I forgot about Arnhem as well. Yeah, um, I think that was there, <laughs> yeah. Um, But yeah, so because of that, they believe everyone believed that anyone that was air, doing air, who was airborne in that time period from 40, 1944 45, it is KG3. How wrong people were. Um, through, like I said this gentleman Alan Pry, he come across a document from the First Airborne Division stating that it was a divisional order. So this isn't a battalion order for a battalion within the division. This is a divisional order stating that that everyone is in one hundred and three. So it it goes to show. But that's what I me mean, what I mentioned earlier, very earlier on in this episode, is that despite this stuff being used on a daily basis, there's very little information about it in the sense of who's using it, when it's being used, because of the different shades and colors. But yeah, so that's one of my biggest gripes of people that are doing late Warsaw, because from the research I've done, it's KG3 isn't as popular as what people think. Yes, you know, you've got the likes of RAF Regiment using it when it came into use. Yes, and there was infantry battalions using that in Normandy onwards, and you also see it appear in Italy. As well, um, in 45.
1: Yeah, very but, late on,
2: yeah, very late on when they start getting further north, and then Austria, yeah, yeah. what so I mean is they're getting much further north by that point. Um, so yeah, so what I'm getting at with this is uh also with this, what I mean also is is that the amount of blanco that was produced during the second world war. Now I only found this out before. Uh we started recording uh when I was looking at a website called Blanco and Bob, but we'll talk about that later on. There was something like three million pucks of 103 and uh, 97 made, something like that. Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, yeah. And it works out, so if that's all divided out for the period of the war, each soldier would have had two blocks of Blanco. That so, actually makes sense. Right. Like, Done a rough guesstimate and yeah. it's worked out as a guesstimate that it'll be like two for every soldier during the war. So it, it shows also that they're not, and there's also this other misconception where people go, Oh, we need to re-blanco this, need to re-blanco this, we need to re-blanco this. Well, well, no, because because blanco, you know, it's what one block does one full set of webbing. So that soldier, in theory, the only time he actually done any blancoing was probably in his basic training. And that was it. <laughs> or, or
1: one of the few times he was on leave. Um, yeah. Or in a camp behind the lines. And those sort of figures do make a little bit of sense if you ignore the fact that in a large portion of the time that KG-103 was in use, most of Britain's fighting wasn't even done in Europe. <laughs> but the figures, that uh, they do, they do sort of add up in that regard.
2: Yeah. Um, so that and, that, and that also brings on why it was still being used post war as well, because they had loads of the stuff, loads and loads of it. And that's why, coming more into modern times, if you're a collector, you'll find loads more KG3 than you will do of 103 and number 97, because they all got used. So, yes, yes, you can still get it. Or you know, re blank code. Yeah. Yeah. Or re blank code. You know, you, know, you can. Uh, still get original examples of this you know before you all start shouting and going that is wrong you can still buy it i bought some the other day <laughs> what i'm getting at is there is more of a chance you find in kg3 than you are 103 number 97 because they used it all so that's why kg3 is in more of a plentiful number because time that KG3 starts being used, Blanco's on the way out and Dom's going to pick up from that story. Well,
1: yeah. So the downfall of Blanco, this starts after the re-equipping of really the the British Army in the Far East and the re-equipping and retraining of the army in India. And so all the miscellaneous Indian settlers, they, they all start churning out hundreds of thousands, if not millions of sets of of 1937 pattern web equipment and so what they do is a lot of the time instead because they they need to equip such a large amount of troops en masse so what they do is what they call vat dyeing so they get a great big vat full of olive drab dye and they drop all of these bits of webbing in it stir it all up and now you've got all this webbing that's all the same color so you have all this vat dyed stuff, and this was used extensively throughout Burma campaign in 1944. They well, in 1943 they start evaluating how crap all the webbing is, and blah 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 blah. They come up with the 1944 pattern web equipment, and they learnt a lot of lessons from the jungle uh, in terms of the webbing, and so they. They not only do they rot proof the webbing, so they treat it with special chemicals, stop it rotting in damp climates, but they also pre dye it. They learnt the lesson from the Indian settlers and they pre-dye the webbing because no one's when you're trying to produce, you know, such a large amount of webbing, such a large amount of men, the bull and blanco of the parade ground of peacetime is gone. You're fighting a war here. It's all about churning out figures by this point. So that dyeing is pre-dyed. And that sets this, and the 1944 pattern web equipment is the first officially made set of British web equipment that's pre dyed. And, you know, this, this sits the standard 58 pattern. And then PLCA, of course, is all pre dyed and camouflage, blah, blah, blah. But it's, and then, of course, 44 pattern would never be used in wartime because Japan had two extra sunrises. Isn't that right,
2: Peter? It did indeed, and that's um, another thing for uh, people that want to specialise in the Burma campaign is 44 webbing, unfortunately, didn't make it out there in time. You're only, so your 44 pattern webbing, you're going to see it in the post-war conflict. So Malaya, so the Malayan emergency, you're going to see 44 pattern jungle equipment being used out there because that's what it's designed to do. It's being designed to be used out in a jungle. But in saying that, so we come to the post-war period, as was already mentioned, we're still using it up into the nineteen fifties because uh, those soldiers who are stationed in the UK are still using thirty-seven pound weapon equipment, but they're still using the Blanco. Um, but then you're also because it's that national service generation era, you're then seeing different influences from different regiments as well. So there's some some regiments are coming away, especially for like things like barrack wear and walking out dress, where they're not using Blanco, they're using boot polish. So, things like uh, the parachute regiment, you'll f- sometimes find when you go to military affairs, you'll find a 37 pattern webbing belt, but it's in like an ox blood, you know, it's in like ox blood mm. boot polish. Now, that's obviously a paratrooper that's done that. Well, probably, that... one of the airborne regiments have done that, or a cavalry regiment has done that because, you know, that's their color. But that's
1: because um, that's that that really started sort of uh, in the Second World War and apparently well the Royal Marine Light Infantry for those troops that were serving on board ship did actually use the black boot polish on the webbing.
2: Yeah and you'll see this in like the British Army in the 70s as well where although dyed webbing anklets have come in by this point uh regiments like the Royal Green Jackets black boot polish on the gaiters um, but yeah but as, as we know it Blanco dies with the introduction of the 57 pattern weapon equipment, um, which is completely died and it's a universal issue. It's not, oh, you're only going to get this if you're going to this place and that place. Uh, the only people that are still using 37 pattern really are the Territorials and they're going to be using that into the 70s. So, yeah, so that's where Blanco basically dies until the reenactor and the living historian comes along. Um, so now so now you've got that sort of whistle stop tour of Blanco. And you heard me mention that finding original examples of this stuff is no longer plentiful. Uh, you could go back to the 90s and you could still easily pick up things like 103, 97, KG3, um, from your local army surplus, from you your know? local army surplus or car boot sale. Uh, But like I said before, it's those colours mentioned before, 97103, because it was used in such a plentiful amount, it's harder and harder to find. And obviously people say from our profession, so to speak, are buying it and using it to bring webbing back to life. Um, So how do we, as living historians or reenactors, actually reproduce this stuff? Because it's no longer plentiful. And it and let's be quite honest, this stuff now belongs in a museum, not being broken up and actually used like what it's meant to be for. This stuff needs to be preserved now. So we need to go down avenues of trying to recreate this stuff. So Dom, start with the first world War. So we along this uh, this this uh, this
1: route of narrative we're going to be pursuing, we're going to be referencing Blanco and Bull. One hell of a lot. Blanco and Bull is an amazing website and resource, which is, um, well, clues in the title, really. So with the Great War, uh, Blanco, many, 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 many many moons ago, I believe it was Andrew Upton uh, posted this particular method on some miscellaneous forum. And it was then transposed onto Blanco and Bull. And that is using cuprinol as in the fence paint and timber treatment stuff um and it's old english green and i think it's either a one to three or one to four mixture with water all mixed up and then liberally applied to your web equipment and that does the trick i have done it, it provides waterproofing as the original stuff is was intended to do and it provides you know it, it it protects the webbing it's a very good substitute for finding something that doesn't exist anymore but it's uh, again it's it's as close as as what we can get i know soldier of fortune pedals a bottle i'm not too sure of it to be honest it's it it's it's like a light kg3 the stuff that soldier fortune pedal and i know people that use this stuff called um called quippy but um quippy uh web renovator or is not really recommended well i wouldn't recommend it as it if you overly apply this quippy stuff or mr quippy as i call it um it 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 becomes makes the webbing a little bit too matted and it makes it like almost kg3 color which is not what you want so this as i said it's this this uh cupranol stuff is i would say is definitely the way forward in terms of blank great war blank home
2: i agree um i use the cuprinol method on my First World War web equipment. So, um, and you were yeah, apprehensive
1: so, to start with.
2: I was th- to start off with. You're right, Dom. You showed me the light when you showed me your stuff. And I thought, ah, yes, yeah, so this is actually quite a believable color. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's what I use. Uh, and then we move into World War II. As as Dom's already mentioned, there are people who do reproduce this stuff, Um, Soul to Fortune being one of them. They have a wide range of uh blancos which are like uh, a basis like a like a um, like a uh, like a paint in a bottle you get the bottle put a tooth dip it dip it in there with a toothbrush and then you just sort of work it into your webbing uh you've also got steve kiddle Pegasus militaria um he did something quite interesting where he actually managed to get some original uh blocks of blanco and he actually took it somebody who's Kind of still got that technology, but unfortunately, the technology of making this stuff has also disappeared. um Like like, like putties, the technology to weave in putty putty gaiters oh, have disappeared. <laughs> uh, but again, we digress. We digress. But that's the thing. That's the thing we got to deal with as living historians and reenactors is that as good as what technology gets in production, we sometimes lose that uh, an old form of production to produce something very niched to what we need. Um, but he managed to speak to this person. They break it all down into its uh, sort of chemical compounds as powder, and he's actually reproduced it as a powder. Um, you can get all the colours um, from the First World War and the Second World War. Um, so if you want to do it old school way with the block, then Steve Kittle at Paris Militaria is your man. Um, but if you want to have something that's going to last a bit longer, uh, then you know, use the Soldier of Fortune stuff. But there's also something else that we use uh, from Blanco and Ball, which is actually using a mixture of shoe creams. And this is for number 97, uh, 103, and KG3. Take it away, Dom.
1: So, yes, the shoe cream method is what it's called, Peter. And this will generally be combining two, maybe three, different what's called shoe creams um and this shoe cream stuff is made by a company called turragon and it should be available in all good sort of local shoe mendery sort of places or amazon or ebay if you're so inclined i've actually got two two uh, two um sort of jars of the stuff now they come in like little glass jars and it's generally like um uh, what have you to what have you ratio mixture, and in front of me, I f- I think this is actually the mixture for, that you're supposed to use to make ref blue webbing. Well, their their mixture, which is number sixteen, number thirty two, but that's um that's sort of like a late war uh, dark blue RF RF blue webbing. <laughs> Just happened to have the jar sat in front of me here. So yeah, those and that's the tech that's the technique uh, they use, and on the website they detail where uh, very um. Uh, the, the various methods you should use. Sometimes, even depending on the shade of blanco, um, if I think on one of them, it even like recommends using a specific color of like Citadel paint for those who collect Warhammer and what have you. It, uh, it's but again, it gives a very good finish, and arguably, actually, better. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the guy that says it, Pete. But arguably, better than the Pegasus Militaria stuff. I mean I the last article of Wedding, I I used um I I I, blanked. I used the um Pegasus military stuff. I let it to dry and what have you. I followed the instructions to the to the T and the next day I picked it up and it was coming off from the hands. Uh, I then since have scrubbed it and reused this uh the shoe cream, the Tarago shoe cream st- stuff. And it stayed on it's it's magic stuff and it and it gives it gives a really good finish to the to the webbing
2: it does indeed i I swear blind to the shoe cream method because all my web equipment um except for me first world war so this is talk about my World War II web equipment that I need to blanco all of it's done in the shoe cream method it also holds a lot better as well. The only trick with it is well it it does tell you in the instructions if you do look into it on Blanco and Ball you must use it sparingly because a little goes a hell of a long way it will last you a very 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 long time and I'm a true convert to it I'd I'd say use the shoe cream method over anything else to be quite honest um because that's what I use and I know you've started using a lot of it Dom as well yeah mate and I've I have
1: seen the light you have shown me the way Pete it's it holds really well. And in some circumstances, you get considerably better color than uh, this bottled stuff that's soft
2: pedaled. But yeah, that brings us very nicely to the end of this podcast. Um, I hope it hasn't been too boring because it's not one of those subjects that, you know, it's one of those hard subjects to try and make blanco exciting. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. And if you'd like to support us in what we do, please consider becoming a member. Um, Through that, you go for the link below, and you could be a member of Living History UK, um, where you get behind the scenes access and loads of other goodies as well. Also, if you want to look further into the history of Blanco, and if indeed you want to recreate some of this Blanco yourself, the link to Blanco and Ball will be in the description also. So, until next time. Keep history alive. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, then why not send us a PayPal donation? All donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive.